My name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ from the church that is in Thailand. Okay, it's that flag right back there in the middle, the one with the blue stripe down the middle with the white and the red, that's the Thai flag. That's where I've served for many years. And then also the one back there with the star in the middle, the red, red flag with the gold star, that's Vietnam. I've served there as well. My wife and I um, served with the International Mission Board, when we got right out of college, we went. We didn't know each other then, we were not married, and I was a little bit ahead of her. Um, but in 1984, how many of you were not born in 1984? <laughs> Most of this church, I'm looking at you, I can tell. All right, 1984, I went to Thailand as a young man right out of college and served a couple of years, and then came back, went to seminary, when I came back to seminary, a year later, my wife came to seminary in Fort Worth. And that's where we met at church. Not at seminary, but we met at church. Got married. Both of us had a heart to go back overseas. We weren't sure where that was going to be. And then the Lord called us. The, the, our, our international our organization, the International Mission Board, had not really gotten a foothold yet in the country of Vietnam. Vietnam was just opening up. And so we went into North Vietnam. And that we didn't have anybody in there at the time. And so we were the first to get into that country with a group of other people. We went in, this is back in 1996. So it was just opening up. So we spent numbers. So all together, we spent about 10 years in the Vietnam work. And then we got Laos thrown in there. And then we went over and were in Thai work, Thai Lao work for a long time. And it's just been only recently that I guess when you get older, Jimmy, and you get a little gray hair, they figure, hey, You've learned a few things, hopefully, right? Can you come help us train some of the younger folks that are on their way? So we are now on loan. We are still, I do take issue with one thing you said. You said former missionary. Okay, that's okay. No, it's funny because he said, I said, honey, uh, Jamie and I watched, I said, wait, are we no longer missionary anymore? Uh, but we are, we're still with the IMB. It's just, we are on loan here in Virginia training. And then at the end of this three-year stint, we're supposed to go back, Okay go back to the field. So we're just here for a while. So anyway, I'm glad to be with you here today. We just sent out 52 about Friday a week ago, another 52 adults that are all over the world in the next two or three weeks. They're all landing. I've been watching the ding, 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 ding on my, we've got this little feed and, and they say, Oh, we're leaving the day. We just arrived. And I got pictures of camels already. I've got and people who are just, even just a week ago, we train and work with folks who are on the way. And we've got another Possibly, we haven't got the final numbers yet. In August, another whole crew will be coming in and we train them. And so we spend seven weeks with them, helping them prepare to go to the field. Now, what do we teach them? I mean, what do we talk about? We talk about what we call the missionary task. Well, what is the missionary task? I mean, you, you probably could have even quote it yourself, but what is a missionary task? 
How do we make disciples? And, and then, is it really different than what we're doing here? Is it really that different? Or what, what's it all about? So we talk through that. We talk about how do you get into a place? How do you enter in? And then when you're there, how do you start talking about Jesus? So how do you do evangelism? And then if someone actually actually believes, then what do you do with them, right? So it's one thing to share the gospel, but if they say yes, then what do you do, right? So if someone says yes, then what's the next steps? So we talk about discipleship. How do you disciple someone? But then do you just disciple onesies and twosies? How do you get them together to make the church? How do, you, how do we form the church? So we talk about church formation. We walk through that and then, wait, but you got church. What do you do with, how do you put church together? What is church? What, what does that mean? And if we're just in a small little house or how do you do church there? And do you have leaders? So we talk about leadership development. And then we talk about, well, then do you ever, when do you finish? How, are you always a missionary? How, how do you, so how do you exit? But yet not just abandoned, but how do you still stay connected? So we go through all that entry, evangelism, discipleship, church formation, then leadership formation. And then how do you exit to partners? So that's what Paul did. Paul actually would go to places and he would leave, but then he's always writing letters back and sending Timothy back or sending Epaphras, sending these guys back, like his missionary team. He was constantly connecting to them. So he didn't just abandon them, but sometimes he had to leave. He was run out of town on a rail. I mean, you know, we're going to read about that this morning. Okay. He had to leave places, but he stayed connected. All right. And the church was born. He was one of the early church planters. We call him missionary, right? An apostle. All right. Really? You know what that word is? You know what the word apostle is? It comes from the Greek word, and that's where we use the word apostle. But the Latin word is missionero, when we get the word missionary. Apostle actually just means those who are sent. That's what it means. Those who are sent. Those who travel and go and take the gospel. So, as missionaries... We're little A apostles, not big A apostles. I'm not writing scripture, Jimmy, okay? You know, I'm not big A apostle, but we're apostles that take the gospel, all right? Elsewhere to other cultures and barriers and cross cultural barriers and so forth. And you learn languages like what I spoke earlier, okay? You learn how to eat the food that they have. You learn how to speak, you know? About a thousand years ago, my forefathers were in the forests of Germany. And they did not worship God. They actually worshiped a guy named Thor. Oh, some of you kids, right? They did. He had a hammer, you know. And so they worshiped this guy. He was the god of lightning and thunder. And there was this special tree that actually we would go to. We would sort of put, and we worshiped the tree because it was near the top of the hill and there would be lightning and thunder around it and it didn't survive. And so we started, we would worship at that tree, this God. We did not know the creator of the world. We did not know him. My forefathers. Okay. Some of you might even have roots back to the forests of Germany. All right. All right. We did not know God. We did not know him. The scripture even describes us as being darkened in our understanding, separated from the world. We did not know him. But this guy came from the south. And he even had a, had a team with him. And he was, did not speak our language. But he actually lived with us and began to learn our language. Eat our food. Play with our kids. He hung around. 
We respected him. He was a little weird, but, you know, we respected him. And when he learned our language, he began to actually tell us. He says, Who do you, what's this worship? Who are you worshiping? Well, we worship Thor. We, he said, the God of lightning and thunder. He said, let me tell you. He says, there is the God of lightning and thunder. But he's more than just the God of lightning and thunder. He's the one that created that tree. He's the one that created this whole world. From nothing, he made everything. So not just lightning and thunder. We're talking the seas. We're talking the mountains. We're talking all the seasons of the world. We're talking every beast that you can even imagine. Everything that swims in the ocean. This is the creator. Worship him. He wants you to worship him. You have not worshipped him. He's due your worship and praise. Let me tell you about him. And he began to tell us about him. We were not interested. We already got our religion. We already got our God. This is for. This is a foreign idea. We didn't want to believe it. And we were resistant. He kept hanging with us. He kept hanging with us. He kept telling us. And finally, one day, Jimmy, he was a bit bold, okay? I, I don't know that. Some of our missionaries do this today, but he said, okay, God is who he is, and he is bigger than Thor, and he and his team went up and got an axe and chopped our tree down. And as they were chopping, we were like stepping back going, whoa, Thor's fixing to kill him. You know, we were like, lightning and thunder is coming, you know, and so we were stepping back, hiding, and they're chopping the tree. Nothing happens. The tree falls. And he says, God is the maker and the creator, not Thor. That sort of started something, broke something with us, sort of scared us a little bit and broke it. But it was at that point that a number of my forefathers actually said, we want to follow and know the creator God and his son, Jesus Christ. And that's how my forefathers heard the gospel. And every successive generation has to make that same choice. Even though my forefathers believed. I am that I can know of, okay? My grandfather, I've traced it back to my great-great-grandfather, Abram Francois Louis David Zabinden, okay? Who came from the area of Switzerland. And he was a believer, all right? And my father is a pastor. He's still living. He's 90 years old. And then I have a, my grandfather was a pastor. I never met him. He died before my, my father married. He was a pastor. But I know that my great, great father. So the gospel has traveled down. And I've been very thankful for this. Okay. And some of you can point to generations of which the gospel has been in your, in your family. Some of you are first generation Christians. In your own family. All right. And that's great. This is how the gospel is spread. It is spread because I or you hear a word of the gospel. God may do things. God has ordained it this way. God may do special things. We've been talking about praying for dreams and visions. We've seen God do this where things have happened. But you know what? Even in a dream and a vision, it sort of like opens people's hearts to God but unless they hear the gospel, we do not hear about Jesus Christ and believe. We have story after story of people. I know of a man already, and also my colleagues talk about this in Muslim lands, where people have a dream or something, but it opens their heart. And then God brings someone who opens their mouth and shares the gospel. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. 
Paul has just been, I mentioned this, he was just sort of run out of a place in called Berea. And before that, he'd been run out of a place called Thessalonica, right? And then before that, he had actually been run out of a place called Philippi, all right? So Paul is traveling, and actually it's modern-day Greece, okay? That's where he's traveling, all right? And he is traveling down, he went from Macedonia, went into Philippi. He planted a church in Philippi, okay? Got a, just a little church started, and then he had some trouble there with the authorities. And, uh, but the jailer came to faith, and the, the woman who made the cloth, Lydia, she came to faith, and a small church was started. And then he goes on down, months later, goes to Thessalonica. He gets down to Thessalonica, same thing happens. He gets there, though. He starts sharing the gospel to people there in Thessalonica, and they actually believe. And a church is started. A small group of church is started, but then... He has trouble. The Jews don't like it, all right, because some of them came to faith. And they start creating problems for him. And he gets run out of this like it gets down to Brig, gets run out. Now he's run now he's in Athens. That's what I want us to look at today. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. So he went down to Athens, and part of his team is a bit sort of having to go different directions right now because of all the trouble they're in. So Paul is alone. Look at verse 16. Well, Paul was waiting for his team, for them, at Athens. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Okay. I'm just going to read and make commentary all right, as we go through this thing. Paul is in a new city. He's there. He's a believer in God, the creator God of all things. And why is he provoked? He sees idols. Okay. It's real clear. Now. As we've looked back and guys have tried to study and understand the day of age and what was like going on in Athens at this time, it was. It was full of little idols. They had upwards of 2,000 plus different little gods. Not, you know, we, I mentioned Thor. Okay, but these, listen, they had God for this, a God for that, a God for They had a little God and they wanted to make sure they covered all their, their bases. This is sort of like the guy in Thailand. I'm driving, I get in the taxi and I see a little cross hanging. You know, a little cross hanging from the mirror. Oh, but right next to it was a little hammer and sickle hanging. And then right next, oh, right next to it was hanging a little Hindu symbol. And then, oh, yeah, yeah. And right next to it was hanging another, like a Buddhist symbol. He was covering all his bases, okay? And sort of covered. Well, that was just four. Can you imagine? Paul is there, and he's sitting, there's over 2,000. I mean, every little corner, a little, a little stand is set up, and a little worship place is set up. Just to make sure we're going to cover all of our bases. Paul sees that and he's provoked. Okay? He, he said, why are they not, why don't they know God? They don't know him. And he's just provoked. Here it is. God deserves our worship. He's made us, right? And we're just everything else. We worship and not God. So, here he is. He's provoked. So he starts reasoning. Now notice this. He doesn't start yelling. He starts reasoning in the synagogues. Now notice where he starts. Notice where he goes to first. He's in a foreign city. Where does he go typically when he would show up? If you guys know Acts, where does he typically show up when he goes to a place? He goes to a synagogue. But who's in a synagogue? Jews. Now, they are worshiping the creator God, okay? They're, they're worshiping the one and only God, right? They don't know about Christ yet. But, but they're worshiping. So Paul would go there first. When we go to places that are unreached in the world as missionaries. We do two things. There's either two types of people. 
There are people who know God, and there are people who don't know God. There are people who are saved, and there are people who are lost. Oh, by the way, that, that's also true right here, right? Okay? There are either people who know God or people who don't know God. So, Paul, though, the people he would go to when he had the opportunity to go to people who probably be the most open people who already worship the one God. So he found them first. He'd go to the synagogue first and he would preach to them about Jesus. Cause of course they should know, right? The, the, the promises of Christ are there. The Messiah, the, the Jews understood all this. They understood the one God. They understood the sacrificial system. They understood the fact that we're sinners before God and God made all things and that we're, we're trying to get right before him. And that the only way to get right is through a blood sacrifice. All this way they were taught as Jews. They knew this and that Christ, the Messiah. So he would come and say, Christ has come. And he would start with them first. And when there would be trouble, they didn't like it. Some of them would believe, but then some of them wouldn't. He would just reason wherever he could. He's reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. Devout persons were the Gentile people who were not Jews, who didn't follow all the Jewish law, but they were interested in this one God. And they would, they call them the devout people, okay? And they were at the synagogue sort of worshiping as well, but sort of in the back, you know, sort of watching along. He's reasoning with them in the market. Oh, he's in the marketplace too, day by day with those who happen to be there. So he's reasoning. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers conversed with him and said, hey, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seemed to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul is out here talking with the group. He's sharing the gospel with Jews, and then he's also in the marketplace. So he's going back and forth, trying to share the gospel to create a church there as well and, and make disciples. And look, verse 19, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. Areopagus, depends on how you pronounce that, and said, Hey, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. All right? Okay, so here Paul has an opportunity. Now, guys, this is, this is the question that, that as your missionaries and the ones you send, like John and Rachel and others, they are asking this question and praying for opportunities to share the gospel. Praying for opportunities to speak. The first of all, you got to learn the language, right? You, you got to learn the language. Now, Jimmy, there was a guy that I met in Bangkok one day. I was with my kids. We were tra- we were walking down a major, major thoroughfare. It was about seven o'clock at night. It was dark, and there was a guy standing at a major street corner in slacks, a long sleeve white shirt. He was a Westerner. I believe it was an American. Because he was preaching on the corner in Bangkok with his Bible in one hand and his hand raised like this. And he was preaching in King James English. Using a King James Bible, preaching very loudly in Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, I thought, opportunity for training. I had my children with me, okay. And uh, we walked by the man, and, I w- and he was standing at the corner, and people were pulling up on their motorbikes and their cars. They're looking, they're looking up at this guy like, what's, go- what's, the- what's going on? They didn't understand a thing what he was saying, okay? And they were just sort of like, that's strange. What's he teaches something? And he was talking loudly, and he was sort of preaching really loud, and, 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 and he was preaching the gospel, but it was, it was in King James English, okay? And it was sort of strong, and no one understood a thing he was saying. 
And I looked at my kids. I said, do, do you think that they understand what he's saying? And they said, no, daddy. They didn't even understand what he's saying because it was King James English, okay? So, so it, anyway, it was like, and I thought, you know, this guy probably came back to the States. He's raised money at faithful churches to go preach the gospel in Bangkok, Thailand. But he's preaching in a language they don't understand. He's not communicating. But yet he can go back and say he had preached the gospel. Now, who knows? God is sovereign above all things. And there may have been some people who heard him, who did speak English, and who were pricked in their conscience by what he shared. And God can use that. Paul even says this about some people. He says, some people preach the gospel out of envy toward me. But you know, as long as Jesus is preached, I'm happy. You know, he said that. Okay, so... I, I'm not going to throw too many stones except to say God's word is preached, but yet we've got to communicate. We've got to speak. And why one of the biggest things your missionaries and the guys you're praying for struggle with is trying to say it in another tongue. Oh, you didn't understand what I said, did you? I said, if I speak in Thai, you're not going to understand a thing I'm saying. And then I just said in Vietnamese, same. If I speak, you're not going to understand a thing I'm saying. Right? Paul even talks about this in 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking about in a worship setting, we ought not be speaking in tongues unless they're translated. Because why? When nobody understands what you're saying. And how is that going to be helpful? Right? We've got to speak so people can hear and understand. Well, your missionaries are trying to learn the language. And it takes a lot of time and energy. How many of you had to learn language before? Uh-huh. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Except when we learn our mother tongue, we don't think that's hard, right? But hey, learning another tongue, it takes work, especially as an adult. So Paul is able to speak this language. He speaks Greek, okay? Because he was raised in this area. He's like a Jew raised in, in the Greek-speaking world, right? So he's able to speak and communicate. But I want you to notice something. He's reasoning in a synagogue, and how he speaks in a synagogue is very different than how he speaks to a Greek audience. Now, the message doesn't change. But I want you to notice, when he gets this opportunity, he, he shifts just a little bit about what he's got to talk about. Look at here. All right? So Paul, verse 22, standing in the midst of the Oropagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. How did Paul feel about all their idols earlier? What did it say? He said he was provoked or he was distressed or he was, he was just agitated about the fact that they were not worshiping God. So he could have, he could have walked to the men of Athens. You're just a bunch of idolaters. You know, he could have said that. You're just a bunch of idolaters. No, 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 no. What's he doing? He's trying to communicate. All right. He's trying to communicate the gospel. And so he said, okay, how can I bridge and speak to the, the folks? Because they don't know any better. They're just doing sort of, now they're still, they're still going to have to answer for it, but to God. But, but how do I communicate? So he says, he gives them a compliment. Men of Athens, I see in every way that you are very religious. All right? You're very spiritual people. You've got all these idols. Now he doesn't hold back. He, he turns it around, okay? He's not, just, he's not just watering down the gospel. He comes out pretty strong here. Watch, look what he says. He says, I, I perceive that you're very religious. Verse 23, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription. 
Ooh, he found an, a, an altar, and it said this, to the unknown God. Ding! Paul saw an opportunity. An opportunity to connect with something that they had set up, something they already maybe even worshipped or knew about a little bit. He saw an opportunity. And he says, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God that you don't know about. And he used something in their own culture, something that, that they could connect with, and he talked to them. There's actually a history, there's a story behind this. About six or seven hundred years before this time, in the city of Athens, they had a major pandemic. Sound familiar? Okay. They had a major pandemic. People were dying right and left, and they didn't know what was going on. And of course, back then, they're thinking, uh, must be some God, one of, the, one of the many thousands that we haven't yet worshipped. And so they were concerned about it. And they had heard about a guy that lived over in Crete named Epimenides, who talked about this great, great, great high God. And so they asked this prophet guy to come over, this great, and this guy came over, and they said, what should we do? do what, tell us about this. And this Epimenides guy said, listen, there is a great high God. He says, so maybe you've displeased him in some way. So what I'm going to do is I want you to sit, get three hungry, get a, a, a little flock of sheep that haven't been fed in three days and hold them together and then release them on the hills. And when we release them on the hills, these unfed sheep, those that go and eat, don't follow them. But those who just go somewhere and lie down, if they don't eat, that's where you need to set up an altar to this unknown great high God. And this altar, 600 years later, is the altar that Paul is referring to. All right? This great high God. And by the way, when they sacrificed a few sheep to this great unknown God, the pandemic stopped. Okay? At that time. And so they thought, oh, we don't know who it is, but we're, we're sacrificing sheep to him. And, and it's okay. And then Paul comes in now. Season opportunity says, let me tell you about this great high God. And he starts with this. And he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. Okay. Let me tell you what Paul is doing here. Uh, there are a few things you can, I was able to learn about when I did a little study of this. And, and you study back and some guys who are better than me studied it and put it together. The phrases that Paul, notice where he starts. He starts with the God who made the world. If you're in a synagogue, you don't have to start with the God who made the world. Because they all believe in the God who made the world, right? Okay? A lot of people here in America, okay, 40 years ago, most everyone here in America, you could just walk up to somebody, start talking to them, and there'd be some assumptions made that people believed in a great high God who made everything, and they even had a concept of having to maybe... Uh, stand before that God one day and that when they would die, there'd be like a heaven or hell experience or the people, most people understood. There's a lot of sort of in America. Now today, this is not necessarily true. Okay. 
you might have to actually go back to, and, and especially since now evolution is taught like it's fact, all right? And it's not, but it is taught that way. And so we automatically, we actually have to, even with our own children now, and our, especially those of our kids who we send off to college. And if, if anybody's been to college, we've got now 13 questions we've got to answer, you know, before we can sort of reason things out. Because we're, we're told to question everything. And so we have to answer that question about, did God make the world? Are we responsible to this one God who made us? Notice we're made from one man, every nation of men. Uh, we're all one race, okay? One human race, okay? Answerable to that God. This is what we do overseas. Especially in Buddhist lands where I lived and worked. They don't believe in a God who created the world. And so when we start with the gospel, we got to start there. We got to go back to Genesis, all right? And you may have to be doing this now, even here in this area. you got to go back to and answer some questions for people. No, we're responsible to the God who made this, who designed this, this intelligent creator God who put all this, packed all this information into every living thing and controls everything. This is the God that we have to be responsible to. It's the same message in Surrey as it is in Bangkok. But how you go about talking and saying it, it's different. If you're in Bangkok, you might wear a shirt like this. Okay? All right? I wouldn't normally wear this shirt if I was just coming to preach in Surrey. Okay? Right? But you might wear a shirt more like that. And you're going to be eating a lot of rice. Yeah. You eat a lot of rice. And, now actually, I love Thai food. Okay? Some of you guys like Thai food. I see Thai food restaurants. There was some place I saw a new one put in somewhere on the road in. It said Bangkok restaurant. Anyway, it's just on the road to Richmond. I mean, they're, they're coming in. I love Thai food. Okay? So eating was not a problem. And you can tell it's not been a problem for me. Okay? So, but... Some places it is more of a problem. And there are some things that I have chosen not to eat, okay, um, or to continue to eat, okay. But the same message here or there, but how we go about it and where we start, the starting point, it, it depends on where you are. Paul had to change his starting point when he was talking to them. He goes on, but he doesn't hold back. He says he's, he's still been pretty positive, except he might have offended them a little bit when he said they didn't live in temples by human hands okay he gets maybe a little more offensive he gets more in your face all right um he says this look and he quotes he says in him we live and move and have our being look at there he said talk about the verse 27 they should seek god perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us for and then paul quotes he quotes epimenides the same guy who came 600 years before in him we live and move and have our being even as some of your own poets have said, okay? So he's quoting Epimenides here. Not only that, but what I meant to say earlier is that these other phrases about the God who made the world and everything in it doesn't live in temples built by human hands, those phrases in Greek are actually phrases from Epicurean philosophers of the day. He is actually saying things that they all argued about and talked about. He just pieced it all together. So when he's sharing in the Areopagus, He's speaking their language and he's speaking their stuff. And they're like sitting on the edge of their seat. Whoa, this guy knows us. He knows this unknown God. He knows Epimenides. He's, he's saying things that we're sort of arguing about all the time. And, but yet he's pieced it together here. Whoa, this is interesting. And they're on the edge of their seat. Okay. He's done a little bit of homework. All right. And he's talking to these guys in a way that makes sense to them. 
All right? For we indeed are his offspring. Again, that's a quote from Epimenides. All right? Verse 29. Being then God's offspring. Talking about all of humanity being sort of the offspring of God. All made by God. Right? We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. An image formed by the art and imagination of man. And he's getting a little... He's getting a little pushy here. You know, he's getting, he's, he's sort of, he's sort of showing the difference. When we share the gospel, there's no way around it. It is offensive to the natural man. There, there, there is a little bit of sharing, even now, even in your own situations where you are, with your neighbors, with the people you work in the office with, with people around, when you start talking about Jesus, we can be as friendly as we want to be, and we want to be friendly, right? And we want to be, but yet there's just a little bit of in-your-faceness that comes about it because the gospel has a little bit, has a cutting edge to it. And Paul is, doesn't hold back. He's been nice. He's been friendly. He's been inclusive, trying to pull them in as much as he can, but he's going to be real straightforward. But now, even he even calls them ignorant. Yeah, 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 look at there. He says, we ought not to think this, right? Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. Okay? But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Okay, that, you know, here. Oh, we got a God that's commanding things now. We got a God that said you got to repent now. Oh, man, this is getting a little. It's got a little. I don't like this, right? So people are starting to get a little. But he's just straightforward. This is what God. If the God made everything. Everything we have, every breath that you breathe and I breathe. Okay, do it. Do, do this with me. Do this. Let out. Okay. That breath. It says here, he gives men life and breath and everything else. Everyone owes their breath to this God. Shouldn't we worship him? Shouldn't everyone worship him and thank him for everything they have? The times of ignorance are over. This God wants you to repent and come to him and worship him and know him. And reach out for him and find him. This is the gospel. Okay? But yet, how did he do it? There's still a way. He hasn't mentioned it. He hasn't got to Jesus yet. Look at here. He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day. Here it comes. He's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Uh-oh, now I've got to answer to this God? What are you saying? You can imagine they rock, these guys are going, what? We're going to have to give answer to this God? He's going to judge the world by this man he's appointed? And then what does he say? And he's given assurance of this by raising this man from the dead. Whoops. Now we're talking about life after death and God raising the dead. And at this point, he had pushed pretty hard. And at this point, most of the people of the congregation went ballistic. We're not listening to this crazy guy anymore. Okay, so basically that was it. That sort of stopped the conversation at this point. It says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some, I think one of the other scriptures say they sneered. Okay, they sneered. They mocked. They made fun of. Isn't that where a lot of us see how our faith is today in this world? Often sneered. And mocked and made fun of. I was sharing the gospel a few days ago with a guy we're trying to reach in uh, one of the, uh, the, the, the some 
it's, a, it's apartments with a bunch of folks who are over 65 live in. And uh, I'm sharing the gospel with this guy. And as I started sharing with him, he said, oh, yeah, the great pumpkin's going to come down. And, and all this sort of thing. He just started mocking and making fun of me. And, um, and I said, I don't know a thing about a pumpkin. But God will come back. And you will have to give answer to him about how you've lived. Are you ready to face it? You know, and he's just trying to avoid the subject and move things around. And we're just talking friendly and, but yet, you know, serious and, oh, the great pumpkin is just about to, anyway, they, they mock and they sneer, right? But look at here, but there's three different responses he had in this passage. All right. Some mocked. Okay. We make that. We call that like a red light. They aren't interested. You share the gospel and it's just red, not interested. The next one is. But others said, oh, we're gonna, we want to hear you again about this. Okay, we'll make that a yellow light. Okay, that's like a yellow light. They want to hear more, but they haven't believed. But they're, you know, they're, they're sort of open. We'll make that like a yellow light. All right. And then what's the other group? But some men joined him and believed. So there were some in that Oropagus that heard him share this and believed and actually joined with Paul and became disciples. Not just men. It says, among whom were also Dionysius the Aropagite. So the Aropagite, one of the guys there who was, who was in the Aropagus. And a woman named Damaris. Okay? So it must have been a well-known woman. He gave the name here. Damaris also came to faith. And others joined them. So a church was born in Athens. There's red lights when we share the gospel. There's yellow lights when we share the gospel. And there are green lights when we share the gospel. It is okay that there are red lights. And we do not like for anybody. I understand this. And we do feel this way. We don't, we, we, we don't want to disappoint anybody. We don't want to say anything that's causing anybody to be uncomfortable. And we just want to get along with everybody. And, and so we feel so upset when people refuse us or refuse the gospel. And just aren't interested in Jesus. But that's life. And you see from the Apostle Paul in the early church, it happened. So do we just shut up? I think we are, we're encouraged to do that. Oh, I don't want to say off. We're scared to death. I mean, I know it. I, even as I'm sharing the gospel with these guys. And I'm in a missionary now for 28 years. And there are still times when I also fear opening my mouth and speaking about Jesus. They're not going to respond well, Lord. They, I could just see it in their eyes, you know. And, and you just you can sometimes talk yourself out of even just. And I'm not talking about launching into a spiel about a sales pitch. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having an honest conversation, though. And yes, taking it a little further and saying, you know, how can I pray for you? And then opening our mouth, identifying with Jesus very early when we get to know people. That's one of the things we learned in Vietnam. Is that as an American, I had friends galore. That, you know, I was young and a wealthy American in their minds, educated. They all wanted to be my friend. Everyone wanted to be my friend. It was easy to have friends. And so what we did is we started having all these friends. And then we started carrying along this. I mean, we're talking 50, 60 names of friends that we're spending time with trying to relate to. And we were very slow. On the front end of identifying with Christ. 
because we, we were under security questions and there were questions about this and we didn't want to get kicked out. And so we were sort of struggling with trying to figure things out. And anyway, we were very slow when we first got there. And we began to realize, but then we just start all these friends, but not that many. And then we'd start turning the gospel conversations to Jesus and so forth. And then some of them weren't interested. And then we're still carrying all these friendships. And it's like, okay, we're going to turn the gospel heat up. So what we ended up doing, we just said, okay, we're going to turn the gospel conversation heat up. We just started turning it up a little bit. So if they're interested in talking about Jesus, then then they're going to want to hear and they're going to, they will still want to be my friend because I'm just not talking about Jesus most of the time. That's what it's going to be. Cause I, I've got a lot of people I need to talk to. People need to hear the gospel. And so we just turned the gospel heat up. It's like I did with that friend with the, the pumpkin guy. I said to him, he said, are you going to come back? I said, yeah, I'll come back. I said, but I'm going to talk about Jesus. Do you want me to come back? He said, well, yeah, you can come back. You know, he, he just wants to talk to somebody. You know, and uh, I'm not sure how open he is, but I'm praying he will become more open. And I'm still going to friendly go back and meet with him and talk with him. But we're still going to talk about Jesus because he is a little further along than I am in age. And he is closer to meeting God than I am. Unless God takes me home and I run off the road on the way home today. Okay. But people need to hear the gospel. So guys, when I read this about Paul... What's the difference of your missionaries and what you're doing? Not a whole lot. Except they are crossing cultural barriers. And yes, because of that, they've had to go over there and they need support to live, right? And to learn language for two years or however long it takes, right? Full time. And, and therefore, we're willing as a denomination and as churches to send and support folks to go do that full time. Just like we pay for our pastors and others because we need them to help equip us for the work of the ministry. And so, but the gospel message is the same thing you're doing here. Most of you, when you talk, don't talk King James English to your friends here in Surrey. If you did, they would probably look at you like, what's going on? Right? But sometimes we can also speak not King James English, but we speak sort of a Christianese that's so full of words they don't understand what we're saying. How do you share the gospel in a way that makes sense to people? You know, this is something that you as a church are trying to figure out how to do well. And this is the same thing that your missionaries are trying to figure out how to do in a different language as well. And then if they actually say, yes, I want to believe. Oh, then what do we do? Okay. Uh, there is no church to bring them to. Okay. Or no, no, no. Something to plug them into. So... What do you do? Well, we have to do everything over there. We have to start from the end. We just help people, walk them, start teaching the first few lessons of things about God, who God is. We teach them how to read the Bible, open it up, start reading. They see things you wouldn't believe. The, the questions they have are like same questions that my kids had when they were eight and nine. Oh, it's, it's just so pure to have them and, and, and natural to have these questions that are being asked of us. Okay, And then we're just helping them see and how to basically take this Bible and read it. And what we talk about, I use this like, like what my mentor said. And it's like how to get your own groceries out of the Bible. We're teaching them how to get their own groceries out of the Bible. And then how to make meals from it for themselves. They can learn how to cook themselves. And, and, learn. and the same thing you're doing. You're reading the Bible. Some of you know how to get groceries better than others. Some of you make better meals than others. But 
it's, we're all learning how to get our own groceries and talk to God because we have direct access to the Father now through Jesus Christ, this creator, right? God's word is growing. And let me just say this. It says that news from a foreign land is like refreshing waters that just, you've heard a little bit from the guys this morning, those of you who are in the earlier hour. But let me say this. I have seen people in Vietnam who never heard this story come to faith. Chin believes, walks with God today because of faithful words of people on our team who shared the gospel with him. And he now follows and walks to God. And now knows. Om Chai is what they call him. The father of heaven. He now knows him and walks with him. People in, in, in Buddhist lands. I'm telling you, it is hopeless what they trust in. They don't have a, they, they don't know, Buddhists don't know about a God. They, they don't trust in God, but they do. And they think that, oh, I can just sort of get to where I just sort of evaporate into nothingness. Is sort of their goal. It, it really is very. But no one wants that. No one wants to be nothing. Okay. Even when you talk to them. It's like. Uh, they don't want to do that. And so I'm telling you. They have found hope. In Buddhist lands. And yes. In the Islamic world. We are seeing people come to faith. I've got colleagues. I've not worked myself in that area. But colleagues just a little bit south of me. And where we worked for years. Are seeing thousands. And thousands. Of people. Come to faith. I'm telling you. And. Um. His name is and will be. His name is great, but he's also, his name will be great, it says, among the nations. And uh, it's a promise we have. And I think I'm going to close with a song that I'm going to sing. And I've changed my mind. And I'm going to sing a song that is right from there. It's a song that I wrote. My name will be great among the nations. So I'm going to step over here, and then I'll turn it over to the pastor and the team at that point. But I'm going to sing a song for you guys. My name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. My name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. In every place, in every place, incense and offering will be brought into my name. In every place, in every place, from the rising to the setting of the sun. My name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. My name will be great among the nations. My name will be great.
great among the nations, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. From the rising to the setting of the sun, my name will be great among the nations, says the Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Mm-hmm.